following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Uh, we are concluding today this brief little series about artisans' DNA, our calling as we see it, our mission, and our values. This is a series all about what are the reasons that we do the things that we do. And two weeks ago, in the first week of the series, we talked about our mission statement, which by now you've all memorized. It says that we encounter God, embrace people, and engage culture in the way of Jesus. That's, in a very concise statement, everything that we want to do. We also talked in that first week about something a little bit different that's maybe more appealing to our kind of uh, postmodern MTV-driven um, some of you are too young to remember when MTV had like imagery on it, like for music. The point being, an, an image statement is uh, also something that we share with people that kind of helps them understand who we are. And our image statement is where we get the title, part of our image statement is where we get the title for this whole series. Our image statement, which is just a picture of what our life together is, is this. Ancient paths, new shoes, journey together. Those three little phrases tell you kind of everything you might want to know about artisan. I mean, we have to explain them a little bit and unpack them. Um, that's the pastor word, unpack. Um, so that was the first week. And then, then we moved on to our five values. So we have a mission statement, but we also have this image statement, but we also have five values that, that really are kind of the, the more specific explanations of what makes our engine go. What are the things that really get our heart pumping what are the things that really are at the, the core of what we see as God's calling on our life together as a church? And uh, not pictured in this series, if you will, is the first value of awe. And the reason that we didn't cover it in this series is because we, we ended up compacting this series uh, a few weeks before it happened. And uh, we did a, a topic on awe at the end of our My Faith Won't Fit series. So if, you, if you're interested in that value and you, you're wondering why it hasn't come up, you can find that on October 7th. If you go to our, our podcast, you can, you can get that one there. And then last week, we talked about values number two and three, which are beauty and roots. And so we have two values remaining, the fourth and fifth values, and they are community and justice. Now, one thing that we, that we talked about last week is how these values first make a statement about who God is, who we understand God to be. And then from that understanding, they, they make a statement about who we are and how we ought to live our lives and, and how we ought to act and, and think and, and so forth. So last week, for example, we, when we talked about beauty, we talked about how we are made in the image of a God who was the creator of the universe. And so something innate in us in the way that we're made makes us creators as well, makes us um, seek to engage and create things that are beautiful, and that's our value of beauty. So these values today, community and justice, follow a similar pattern where there's a statement contained in there about God and who God is that out of that flows the statements about who we are and how we ought to live. So let me give you the, uh, the statement that we make for community, which is our fourth value. This is what we say about community. We are a covenantal family of authentic relationships and reconciliation 
in the image of God, who exists in perfect communion as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yet one God. So you see there that our understanding of what community is is based on our understanding of who God is. God is triune. It's the theological term for um, being communal within himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there's a, there's a really fancy word in some other fancy language uh, that describes the Trinity. And the word means, I'm not going to, you don't care what the word is, right? But the word just means a circle dance. So have you ever seen like a folk dance where people grab hands and dance, dance around and they kind of make this one dancing unit um, with distinct parts? That's the word, I think it's parachoresis or something like that. What, what do you care, right? But it, that's the word that describes God, the Trinity, as a circle dance. Really interesting, especially given our, uh, you know, our propensity to love the arts and so forth. But, but we are made in God's image. This is the same thing that we saw last week with beauty. But we're made in God's image, and God is communal by himself, and within himself. And so we exist best when we are also in community with each other. So those, the key words in, the, in this statement that you see on the screen there are words that we take very seriously. A covenantal family. Authentic relationships. And reconciliation. You know, this is one of those times where I'm going to say the thing that I so often say. I mean, we could do a sermon on each one of those little phrases. We could do three weeks just on community. We don't have the luxury today. But those words are rich and deep, and they say a lot, and that's by design. So if, if these familial kind of relationships, and if authenticity isn't happening, and if reconciliation isn't taking place, then, then we're falling short of our calling. We're falling short of our value of community. So let me give you a couple of uh, scripture passages um, both of these will be things that Jesus himself said. And if you'd like to follow along in the red Bibles, uh, in the seat pockets or under your chairs, you can, you can get those there. The page numbers are on the screen here. But I'll read them to you. And sometimes it's nice just to hear the words of Scripture as well. So. John 13, Jesus said this to his disciples. And we ought to count ourselves among his disciples, right? He said, I give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you you also should love one another by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another so Jesus says something really quite remarkable there if you ask me he seems to suggest that that the best way or at least a very important way that we share our Christian witness is by how well we love one another. I would have guessed if Jesus was going to say something about loving people, being a witness, he would have said, it's how you love people who are not part of, you know, who are not my disciples yet. And I think, obviously, that Jesus would say that we have to do that. You can, you can certainly draw that from other things Jesus said. But in this case, he's saying that people will know you are my disciples if you love one another. That's the kind of community that we seek to create here in this place. 
The next passage that I'll give you comes, uh, again, these are the words of Jesus. In this case, it comes from a prayer that he's praying. It's a very interesting prayer. It's in John 17. And tucked away in the middle of this prayer, he says these words. He's praying to the Father. I ask not only on behalf of these, meaning his disciples who are present right there. He's praying for his disciples. But also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word. So he's extending it now to beyond his original disciples to all of the people who will become his disciples because of the words of his original ones. And I think it doesn't take very much of a mental leap to imagine that, that in that sense he's praying for us. And what is his prayer for us? It comes in the very next set of words, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So again, you see two of these things that I've talked about already. One is that the nature of, of oneness between the Father and the Son ought to be expressed in our oneness with each other. That's that circle dance again thing, right? And also, he's saying again, that in that oneness, the world may believe that Jesus says, you have sent me, says that to the Father. Again, he's suggesting that a great way to share our witness, if you will, to, to, to evangelize, if you'll excuse the word of uh, Christendom, uh, we are a part of it after all, the best way to do that, or at least a very, very good way to do that, is to show love for one another. And so when we are in community with each other, that is a witness. Now, I might suggest that this is especially important when we think about the church as a larger entity, not just artisan church, but the church globally. Um, we, around here, you know, the couple hundred of us who wander in and out of these doors every so often probably do a pretty good job of, of expressing accord oneness. You get to some of those other Christian groups, and maybe we don't have quite as much in common with them, and they maybe don't have as much in common with each other, and suddenly you stop seeing this prayer being lived out. You don't see a oneness as much. So my hope and prayer is that our example of community at Artisan is not only a witness to people who are not yet disciples of Jesus, but it's also a witness to others in the, in the community that is the, the church. And we're never all going to agree on everything until, uh, until, the, until everything is wrapped up <laughs> and Jesus gives us all the answers and we're checking our test against his answer key. <laughs> oh, transubstantiation. Right? <laughs> Who would have guessed, right? <laughs> That's the little theology nerd for you, but... But despite the fact that we're never going to get complete agreement, you know, oneness doesn't come from complete agreement anyway, does it? Sometimes the people you agree with the most are the ones you (laughs) have the most arguments with. But the point is that Jesus prayed that we would be one. So that talks about this interior sense of community. But we actually think about community in two different ways. 
We think of it as an interior reality that we share with each other, but we also think of it as an exterior reality that we try to engage in and experience with our neighbors and our neighborhood and our city and our world. So community is not just about how we engage with each other, it's about how we engage with with people who are outside of our walls. And I would say one of the most important passages in the whole Bible that you should know if you want to understand Artisan's ethos, if you really want to get into our mindset, you should look at this passage, Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7. And um, this, of course, is an Old Testament passage. This is the words of one of the Hebrew prophets, one of Israel's prophets, speaking on behalf of God. And to whom was he speaking? He was speaking to the community of Jewish people who were in exile. Okay, so I won't go through the whole history of this kind of thing, but the people had been conquered and sent out of the Holy Land into exile um, in Babylon. You know, like the, the ultimate pagan wasteland. And here's what the Lord says through the prophet Jeremiah to the exiles. 29, 4 through 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. These are your instructions. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Here's this beautiful verse. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. So that these words were given to a people whose religious expression was so closely connected to the geography of their region, specifically that they needed to worship at the temple in Jerusalem, but who were displaced, that God would say these words to those displaced people is really pretty amazing, especially since where they were displaced was into a culture that was understood to be depraved and unclean and separate from a holy God. And I think that these verses give us a wonderful lesson about how to engage with our culture, which you may have heard described as depraved, unclean, and separate from a holy God. If we're going to live into the example of these exiled Jews who are our spiritual ancestors, then our calling would be to live in the place that God has placed us despite the fact that it's not, not perfect, <laughs> despite the fact that it sometimes seems to war against our intentions to live a life worthy of our calling. And it gives us instructions on how to interact with the people we find around us, which is not to be separatists, but to be engaged in the culture. Do you remember that phrase from our mission statement? 
So that's community. And here's something that I think is interesting. When we, um, we rearranged this series, as I told you a few weeks before it started, to try to make it a little bit more compact. And we were originally going to do one value per week, plus the mission statement. So it would have been six weeks instead of three. When we ended up compressing it, we grouped the values together, two at a time. And it's really interesting to me how these values have been paired together. Kind of neat to see how they interact. Last week, beauty and roots, and today, community and justice. Especially today's pairing, community and justice, is very interesting to me because these two values, I don't think, really can be separated if you want to live both of them out. See, if we're building a a tight-knit community, living in that value, but the community closes itself off to doing the work of justice, then, oh, please, can we just close the doors now? Last one out, turn the lights off. Find somewhere else, because we have no interest in doing that. Community is not insular and exclusive for us. It can't be, because we have this value of justice. If we're building a tight-knit community that works together for justice and... Most importantly, that includes people who have been treated unjustly and who have been the subject of an unjust culture and maybe don't have much to show for the life that they've been able to live. If we're including those people into our tight-knit community, then that is what we're going for. That's the interplay of these two values, community and justice. So let me give you our statement uh, on justice, which is our fifth and, uh, and final value. This is what we say about justice. We are captivated by the heart of God for hurting people and a suffering creation, seeking to bring compassion to those needs and a just end to their underlying causes. This is dense. I mean, there's a lot here as well. We could talk about the difference between compassion and justice and how they're both important, but how we we made justice the value, not compassion. If you want to talk to me about that, catch me afterward, because I'm not going to unpack it right now. But you see that, once again, it starts with who God is and who God, what God's heart expresses, at least in our belief. <laughs> I really do believe that God has a heart for hurting people and for a suffering creation. And that if we're going to live in the way of Jesus, if we're going to live out the heart of God in our world, that we need to work for justice. See, the biblical witness about justice is overwhelmingly clear. The call on God's people both in the Old Testament and the New, to do justice is unavoidable. If you wanted to try to skip out on this one, you would have to basically say you don't, you don't believe the Bible is true, and, you, and, and maybe it is, but you don't want to obey it. Let me give you a few Old Testament verses really quickly. I don't even have them on the screen. I'm just going to read them to you. There's four or five of them here. 
A lot of them come from the prophets. Who, by the way, <laughs> spent most of their time criticizing the religious community, not the irreligious community, not the pagan community. They spent the time uh, calling God's people back to what they should be doing. So you'll hear some of that here. Amos 5.24, Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Proverbs 21.3, To do justice and righteousness is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. And if you know anything about how the, the, the Hebrew atonement system worked, you know that that's a pretty dramatic thing to say. That you, your sacrifice was how you were made right with God. Proverbs says, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Micah 6, 8, very famous justice verse. He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Isaiah 1, 16 and 17, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Again, this imagery that evokes the sacrificial system, the atonement being made clean before God. Remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. And it goes on like this, and on and on and on. Believe me, it goes on. Unless you think that the justice call is just an Old Testament thing here, just a couple of verses from the New Testament. James 1.27 Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. And then perhaps the starkest call to justice in the New Testament is Jesus' story about the last judgment. It's a fairly long passage, so I won't read it all to you, but it's from Matthew 25, 31 through 46. And he's describing the end of all things and how the people will be judged and it's the sheep and the goats. Do you remember this? And the ones to whom he says, depart from me, are the ones who he says, you didn't give me water when I was thirsty. You didn't visit me when I was in prison. I was hungry. You didn't give me anything. I was naked. You didn't give me any clothing. And the ones to whom he says, enter into glory, are the ones he says, did give him all of these things. And in both cases, they say, Lord, when did we ever see you in need and not help you? Or in the case of the sheep, and help you. <laughs> and he says, I tell you the truth to you've done this to the least of these, then you've done it to me. You know, we Christians have a fairly uh, elaborate and involved sense of how we are made um, acceptable before God, how we attain righteousness, rightness. And for most of us, it doesn't involve anything about water and food and clothing and prison. It involves faith. And that's because I think that the witness of the New Testament is fairly clear on that as well. But Jesus does not let us off the hook for these works. <laughs> it's a very interesting tension. If you want to 
accept the witness of, of all of Scripture that we have, between knowing the truth that we can't do anything on our own to make ourselves right with God, that it's, that it's by grace that we're saved, not by works, but also hearing these really stark, almost terrifying words of Jesus saying, if you don't help the least of these, food, water, clothing, prison, sickness, you are cooked. You are, you are bound for destruction. So, when we think about justice at Artisan, we, we, we tend to think of it in two different ways. And one way I think we're really quite good at, and the other way we probably need a little bit of more work and effort and fine-tuning. But we think, uh, I, I, too, I do anyway, think about justice about as, a, as a local concern and as a global concern. Um, you know, if you've been around here very long, that we've done some pretty cool stuff uh, globally, providing water in Uganda, um, has been the, something that we've returned to over the past several years a couple of different times. And we've, I, I, am, I am incredibly impressed with your generosity in this matter. You know, we ask those of you who are committed members of Artisan to give a portion of your income to, to the maintenance and sustenance of the church to, to keep everything going that we do. And you do that. You do that really, really well for a church of your size and a, a church of our median age. You know, I don't want to brag or anything, but we're probably breaking some records on that. And then we've asked many of you to give above and beyond that toward our facility. We, have this, we did this campaign last year, almost exactly a year ago, where many of you committed to give above and beyond your regular giving to make this thing ours. And we bought this building. And we're, we're working on making it more functional. <laughs> and then on top of that, we've also continued to ask you to give more toward things like the Ugandan Water Project and, and what we did with the bridge, which is a local justice initiative last year. And you have come through over and over and over again. I'm incredibly impressed. I'm deeply moved. I'm amazed at your generosity, you people. You do a great job with that. Where that tent, that you just slapping money on the table tends to work pretty well for some of those global things, specifically the one that's close to our heart, which is the Ugandan Water Project. Um, I'll talk more about that in a minute. We can be pretty effective and efficient with that. When it comes to working for justice close to home, raising a bunch of money is is not the only thing that we have to do. In fact, it's maybe not even the best thing that we can do because in American culture, it is much harder to apply that money in a way that's efficient and reliable. I don't want to get too much into politics and red tape and all that kind of stuff, but we can go build a, a rainwater collection tank in Uganda and it will, it will provide clean water for a village of people for 30 years. Done. We raise the same amount of money and want to apply it to justice efforts in the city of Rochester, and man, is it hard to find the right place to, to send that money. 
a place that we would trust to use it wisely and well in a way that helps people rather than making their situation in the long run worse and so forth. So just kind of slapping money on the table is not the solution in Rochester. And so we've got to work on that. Um, And I don't have any answers. But I was just talking with a couple of folks uh, from Artisan yesterday who are really, this is their heart. Justice is their heart. And I think we have a pretty, pretty interesting plan about how to, to, try to try to get the wheels turning on this. And so here's a couple of things that will happen. Um, we have a, a, a whole series on justice planned uh, later in our ministry year. It's actually going to be in April. This is after the season of Lent and Easter is over. We're going to do a four-week series on justice. And one thing that's really cool about the artisan community is that despite the fact that we struggle as a community with doing local justice, we have a number of people who are, by, their, by, by way of their careers, what they do day in and day out, Monday through Friday and sometimes on the weekends, is work for justice. Social workers and uh, community people and people who work for organizations that, that care for the poor and so forth. And we are, over the next few months, going to connect with some of you who who do this kind of thing. And during this justice series, we're going to give you several opportunities, the rest of you, several opportunities to partner with these different organizations and just go be part of what they do and see what, see what they do. Um, because one thing that, that occurred to me as I was thinking through this problem is that we are somewhat paralyzed by our lack of knowledge, by our lack of experience. And so we are standing there at the plate, and we never take the bat off our shoulders, if you will pardon the baseball analogy. And what we're going to do is we're going to take the bat off our shoulders. We're going to swing it three, four, five times. And Lord knows if we're going to hit anything. But we're not going to stand there with the bat on our shoulders. So that's coming up. And if, if what I've been talking about in the last two or three minutes is making you go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah then please talk to me because I would, love to, I would love to work together on this. We're going to treat this thing the way we treated hospitality s- several months ago, and we're going we're to work together on it. We're going to talk together on it, and we're going to just we're gonna swing the bat. We're going to see what happens, okay? That's our effort to, to work toward uh, more efficient and more effective local justice initiatives. Much sooner in, uh, in our ministry year, in fact, this will start next week, is uh, a reboot of something we did three years ago called Advent Conspiracy. How many of you were here for Advent Conspiracy when we did it the first time? Okay, um, maybe less than half of you. That's pretty amazing. Wow, cool. So Advent Conspiracy is a, a global movement within the church to reimagine the way that we think about the season of Christmas. And Advent, as you probably know, is the season leading up to Christmas. And... Um, Specifically for us, what we are going to ask people to do is to spend less on Christmas gifts and to save the money or to use the money that you saved by not buying this Christmas gift and donate it to a clean water initiative. Now, this is what Advent Conspiracy does all around the world. Um, Our particular one, as I mentioned before, is the Ugandan Water Project. This is a a locally based um, charitable organization founded by a friend of mine, actually, and uh, they exist to uh, install rainwater collection tanks in Uganda. As you know, in lots of Africa, clean drinking water is very hard to come by, and, and children die uh, 
at the rate of, I think, like a jumbo jet every four or five hours because of lack of exposure to clean drinking water. And it turns out, though, that in Uganda, there's plenty of rainfall, and it's, it's clean to drink if you can collect it in a sanitary way. And so the Ugandan Water Project simply goes and installs these very large tanks. How big are the tanks, Liz? Do you remember? 10,000 liters. 10, liters. What's that in American? 2,500 gallons. 2,500 gallons. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of drinking water. And they put them on the sides of churches and schools and municipal buildings and so forth. And it collects water, and it will provide clean drinking water for a whole community of people um, for in these last, like, 30 years, right? So here's what we're going to do. It's not up yet. But you remember these cards from last time, perhaps. I imagine that an average Christmas gift is about $25. Maybe for some of you it's less. Maybe for some of you it's more. But if you have an uncle and you don't know what to buy him, you go out to a store and you get a gift card in the amount of $25. Well, forget your uncle. <laughs> right? What we're going to ask you to do <laughs> is take that $25 and turn it into clean drinking water. These tanks cost $3,500. If you divide 3500 by 25, what do you get? Math nerds. It's more than six. I believe it's 135, 140, something like that. 140. Thank you, Ken. Math nerd, Bible nerd, every kind of nerd. <laughs> we love you, Ken. If we had, I said before, we have a couple hundred people who go in and out, right? If we had just 75% of you do this one time, that's one rainwater collection tank. You know what we did when we did this a few years ago? We shot to do one. Do you remember how much we raised? We did two. We did two. At that time, they were a little cheaper, so we raised over $6,000. That was enough to do two. I hesitate to, to set audacious goals. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> I, think we could, I think if we didn't do three this time, we'd probably be screwing things up. So stay tuned for Advent Conspiracy. It's a lot of uncles. A lot of uncles not going to be able to go to Best Buy and buy Def Leppard's greatest hits. Hey, Love Bites, man. I am there with you on this occasion. Um, okay, so I'm rambling on this. But this is, this is what we're going to do to kind of get going again on our international justice, our global justice initiatives putting those on the community table so you remember them when you come. Uh, this will start next week. We're going to talk a lot about these little cards. We're probably going to put them on a wall somewhere in the shape of a, of a collection tank, and we'll flip them over as, you, as we get them and so forth. It'll be really fun. Um, we're going we're to install those things, man. And uh, James, my friend, who's the, the founder of this organization, will be here in the third week of Advent to, to share with you, and it'll be great. So today's values, community and justice. Um, Thank you for living into these values. And uh, these are things that call us back to, to what we think is our, the heart of who we are as a church. It doesn't mean that we, we're always awesome at every one of these things. So sometimes, from time to time, we come back to them and say, man, are we doing everything we should be doing on this? And uh, if the answer is no, then we're going to work toward it. And so let's do that together. Um, community and justice that go with awe and beauty and roots to uh, express the core of who we are as a church, who God has called us to be. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the calling you've placed on Artisan Church, and we pray that you'd give us courage and strength and wisdom to live it out. 
that your spirit would call us back to it when we've strayed, that we'd be encouraged when we are doing well, that our oneness would be a witness to each other and to our community, that our efforts toward justice would be truly us bringing about the kingdom of Jesus that someday in the future will be perfect, but which we want to pull into our present. Help us to live it out, we pray, O Lord. Amen. We're going to sing a couple more songs together, and you can come and take communion. Um, We do this every week. It's a very important part of how we express uh, our life together. If you're following Jesus, regardless of whether you're a member here or a member of our denomination or any of those silly things, this is for you to to participate in. Uh, We practice intinction. You just tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the wine or the juice, receive it as food for your souls. May it be his body and his blood, which you will remember has been broken and shed for you. Continue to worship him together. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.